As we prepare to hear God's word read and proclaimed, let us pray. God, we give thanks that you have given us your word and by the power of your Holy Spirit as you breathe life into creation itself, breathe life in and through this your word that we, in fact, might come all the more alive and be made all the more into your likeness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the beginning... When God created the heavens and the earth, the earth was a formless void, and darkness covered the face of the deep. While a wind from God swept over the face of the waters, and then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. Genesis 1, 6 through 8. And God said, Let there be a dome in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. So God made the dome and separated the waters that were under the dome from the waters that were above the dome. And it was so. God called the dome sky, and there was evening, and there was morning, the second day. under the sky be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear 
and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth put forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees of every kind on earth that bear fruit with the seed in it. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed of every kind, and trees of every kind bearing fruit with the seed in it. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the third day. Genesis 1, 14 through 19. And God said, Let there be lights in the dome of the sky to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years, and let them be lights in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. God set them in the dome of the sky to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fourth day. Genesis 1, verses 20 through 23. And God said, Let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. So God created the great sea monsters and every living creature that moves of every kind with which the waters swarm 
and every winged bird of every kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. The sixth day, Genesis 1, 24 through 31. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures of every kind, cattle and creeping things and wild animals of, on the earth of every kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals and the cattle and everything that creeps upon the ground. And God said that it was good. And then God said, let us make humankind in our image, according to our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish and the sea, and over the birds of the air, and over the cattle and the wild animals of the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. And so, God created humankind in God's image, and the image of God, God created them, Male and female, he created them. God blessed them. God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and of the sea and of the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves upon the earth. And God said, See, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is upon the face of the earth, and every tree with seed in its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the air, and to everything that creeps on the earth, and to everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that God had made, and indeed, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day.
Genesis 2, verses 1 through 3. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished in all their multitude. And on the seventh day, God finished the work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all the work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and hallowed it, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. From the New Testament, Acts chapter 17, verse 28, as Paul is debating the people of Athens. For in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we too are his offspring. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Genesis creation account was not written to be a scientific explanation of creation. It was not even written to prove anything per se. It was written as declaration. Declaration by way of musical prose. And its cadenced prose announces day by day the goodness and beauty and order of creation and most especially the goodness, beauty, and order of the God who fashions all of it. It is a sevenfold cadenced rhythm of goodness. And so this morning we read Genesis 1 into the beginning of 2 with music interwoven because it helps us name that rhythmed, musical, beautiful truth that is declared. And then we read, you saw, not only with with music interwoven throughout, but we read it in the round for a couple reasons, one of which I'm going to come back to later. But in part, we read it in the round so that we might visualize all the more the spacing of our days and the manner in which we are always and continually drawing toward the primary downbeat of the week, the Sabbath. In fact, Exodus, using creation as its template, articulates the fourth commandment, six days you shall labor. The seventh is a Sabbath to the Lord. Sabbath is truly the downbeat. It is the downbeat we're going to explore all of this summer on a host of different angles. It is the only aspect of the entire story of creation in which something is designated as holy. And if that were not enough... We can flip through the remainder of scripture. We see that honoring the Sabbath, remembering the Sabbath, keeping the Sabbath is named 150 times. That is more than all of the other nine commandments put together. Sabbath is the downbeat. 
And there is, again, much that we will say about this this summer, about then how do we live into that? How do, what do we seek to do on such a, a day and, and, and avoid? And, and if you want more details, just very practical implications, even now as you're working that out, uh, please, after the service, right outside the social room, check out the wonderful bulletin board that Lewis and Libby Rosebro put together as we think through practical ways of, of honoring the Sabbath. And, and there's even a handout with a whole bunch of bullet point ideas for you this summer. But for now, let's just observe in the creation story that time is a gift that is given unto each of us. And it's a gift not given haphazardly, not chaotically. It is not a ball of yarn that we have to unwind and untangle with the best calendars and apps that we can find. It is an ordered, steady, beautiful rhythm into which we might Enter. Our bodies move to a rhythm of work and rest that follows the rhythm originally strummed by God on the waters of creation. Theologian Diana Butler Bass, 6 and 1. So simple, right? I remember being in middle school concert band. 60 or so of us novice musicians playing these basic pieces of music so that in a few months our loving parents could come and attend the concert. And early on I learned that that I could play the trumpet and play the notes somewhat easily. I mean it didn't take too long to learn how to play a C and then a D and an E and so forth. I found out I could play recognizable tunes fairly quickly. I could even play fun little flourishes when I practiced. But then in band class, I began to learn about the part that I would overlook in practice, that I really would not even think about when practicing on my own. It was actually, it still is actually, the very hardest part about music for me. It would happen this way. We'd we'd start in on a simple piece, Home on the Range. And Mr. Gaines, the band director, would say, Flutes, 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 slow down. And while he's busy trying to get the flute's attention, the saxophones are speeding up. Saxes, saxes, slow down. Watch me for the tempo. Then, of course, we trumpets. We start pressing the tempo. We're loud. We bring the trombones and the clarinets right along. And now Mr. Gaines is frantically going between all the sections. One, two, three, four. Watch me. But alas, the drums have gone with the band as well. And once the drums are racing, the whole thing is at light speed. Music is a generous term for that moment, right? It's a cacophony of racing noise. Have you been to a fifth grade band concert? Have you been noticing our society in general these days? Earlier this year, I was talking with a longtime member of Grace Covenant, now in her 90s. She said, you know, at my age, you'd think you'd have more time, I'd have more time, to pray and study scripture and, and, and love neighbor. And in one sense, I do. But in another sense, she said, I don't know if I've ever felt more hurried in my life. There's never enough time. It always feels busy. That same week, I was talking with a woman in her 50s. She works in the Presbyterian offices in Louisville, Kentucky. She was born and raised in Jamaica, moved to the States as an adult. She tells me how at least every six months she has to go back to Jamaica. And I say, oh, family or or an obligation you, you need to take care of? And she says, yes. 
me. She goes on to explain that that everywhere she goes in the U.S., there's this sense of busy. There's not enough time. There's always something to be done that we can't keep up with. She says, honestly, it's, it's in the air. And you forget you're breathing that kind of air until you step off the plane. And she says, look, Jamaica has plenty of problems. She even unpacked a few for me. But, but you breathe the air in Jamaica and you realize, you know, there are different airs than that of hurry. Or again, just this last week, maybe you saw UPS is facing a possible very large strike as their workers are negotiating a new contract. One of the main issues facing UPS is it will soon move into delivery on Sundays, and so compensation needs to be negotiating. What is interesting to me about the debate is it's all about dollars and cents. No one's really debating that UPS should or should not be delivering all seven days of the week and at any time of the day into your house and or to your car. That's just a given. That's a given because of the demand of e-commerce and the, and, and the competition of Amazon and the like. And, and that, that's a given, given how programmed so much of society is to that near instant return and response. Now, I tell these stories because it's increasingly clear to me that it really it doesn't matter your age, your life stage, your occupation. It is almost inescapable that to live in this country at this time and day is to live when the band is racing. Technologically so advanced, but novices, society and church alike, novices at keeping time. In fact, one could argue that in many ways our sense of time has collapsed in on itself, so it's, it's very difficult to discern any sort of cadence because the name of the game is speed and productivity and, and the days sort of just flow together. To be sure, we are aware. I mean, some of the very best-selling books and podcasts out there right now have to do with better planning and more efficiency. Feeling overwhelmed? Eight ways to prioritize your emails, your schedule a little bit better. Five ways to declutter. And yet increasingly, right, things are happening around us that are signaling that when the band speeds up and the cacophony of noise is our reality, there are in fact dire costs and surface treatments are found wanting. A recent article from Psychology Today argues that elevated cortisols, cortisol levels within ourselves, they are public health enemy number one. Cortisol writes that stress hormone, and it's a good thing to have a stress hormone that gets raised in times when in the short term we need a flight or fight or flight kind of response for our safety. But dangerous to have these levels raised for extended periods of time, raised all the time. Stressed out, anxious society has them raised a whole lot. And when we are stressed and anxious and those cortisol levels remain high, it interferes with Learning and memory. No matter, no wonder we cannot hear or even learn from the other side. It lowers our immune function, our bone density. When these levels remain high, it contributes to increased weight gain, blood pressure, cholesterol levels. High cortisol is directly linked to two of the main killers in our society, diabetes and heart disease. It is also linked to one that is, also, that is making headlines far too often again in our day, Depression. 
Now, I hardly want to suggest that every case of heart disease, diabetes, chronic depression has some sort of one-to-one connection to the hurry, pace, and raised anxiety of our society. That be unfair and untrue to the wide variety of nuanced reasons these things can and do emerge. At the same time, let's not dismiss just how profound an effect a cacophony of racing noise does have on church and society. Let's not dismiss just what chronic stress and anxiety do to bodies and souls, let alone the body of Jesus Christ, who is called to bear forth a witness to a peace that transcends all understanding. Now imagine we can point fingers. You know, it was Little League sports that got it going. Stores, it was the internet, it's technology in general, it's greed, it's advertiser, it's workplace bottom line. Look, truth is, I don't know if it was the flutes or the saxophones or the trumpets that first sped up, or if everyone kind of sped up all at once, or maybe it's that we've always struggled to keep a deeply beautiful creation rhythm, and that's one of the reasons Sabbath-keeping shows up time and again in Scripture. I cannot say... Precisely why we live in a time when it seems like our pace and way have stepped into another gear. What I do know are two things. Hurried lives and hurried minds are not actually the fundamental issue. They are a symptom. John Ortberg, the pastor and author that some of you read during our Lenten uh, study, he wrote the article on joy. He writes, hurry is not just a disordered schedule, it is a disordered heart. And so if we're living in in not just a difficult season of time where things really are just uniquely chaotic, but, but if generally we live with the sense that, you know what, there never is enough time, we cannot keep up, there is too much to do, I need more sleep, there's too much going on, I'm carrying too much. The issue is not better scheduling, it is in fact the heart. We have attached ourselves in the center to something and someone other than Jesus, who stands at the center of Sabbath, of course. Most likely, in fact, we have put ourselves in the center and made ourselves God, trying to hold the world together, trying to meet every demand, save every situation, do. Hurry is not just a disordered schedule, it is a disordered heart. To what are we attached? This leads to the second thing I know, and that is this. Even if we can start to name it, we honestly have no idea how to free ourselves. I mean, we, fine, I have a disordered heart. But, but for most of us, the idea of slowing down and living with a true and full and joyful Sabbath, week to week, a, a day of, of ceasing and delighting in God and letting God be God and not us be God, a day where we, where we open and, 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 we, and we delight in God and, and, and God's creation and, and the gifts of God around us, That almost seems like a fairy tale to find that week to week. We breathe the air of hurry, anxiety. Our schedules demand it. It fills our lung. To find a Sabbath week by week is to find another planet where where it's just a different oxygen. The Apostle Paul declares in Romans 5, you see, at just the right time. 
While we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. At just the right time, at just the time when we were utterly powerless, utterly captive to an evil. At just the right time, when we had no way of slowing down, no way of keeping up, no way of making enough money, no way of doing enough, At just the right time, when we had no way of breaking the cycle of anxiety that floods us no matter what we try to do or not do. At just the right time, when our national discourse was so poisoned by anxious fear. At just the right time, when we felt powerless, Jesus comes and dies for us. Scripture proclaims that on that cross, he disarmed the powers and authorities of this world. He canceled every power of evil, every rhythm that is not of God, and breaks it upon the cross. Indeed, the beginning of Jesus' ministry, he declares, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The same Spirit that birthed the rhythm of creation. And that Spirit, in that Spirit... He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives, release from the tyranny. Now, perhaps we did not arrive this Sunday morning thinking ourselves captives. Or once upon a time we were captive to sin, but Jesus has has freed us. But if busy and hurry and anxiety characterize our days, If a lack of Sabbath characterizes our rhythm, we are right here this moment the ones for whom Jesus has come and is come. And perhaps the question for us today is, will we hold our palms unto Jesus again and know afresh the same power that broke the chains of death might break the shackles? That hold us. Scripture also speaks of Jesus uh, coming unto us as, as receiving breath. And so maybe the question is put this way Will we inhale in this space of worship not the air of anxiety and hurry, but the air of Jesus who says, My peace I give you? To receive Jesus is to receive the discovery or rediscovery that we are not actually fundamentally bound. His breath fills our lungs, and if we can just even taste it, we find, you know what, there is another way to live on another planet, even on this planet. It's called the kingdom of God. It's the air for which we were made to breathe. Do we have the courage to inhale it deeply down all the way into our schedules, which is to say, our hearts. Sometimes we have to breathe to discover, in fact, we are free. I mentioned earlier we read in the round for two reasons. The second reason we read in the round is because, as Acts declares, we live and move and have our being in God. We are surrounded as by a circle in God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is is this rhythmed existence. 
In fact, we breathe inside this God who sets up something like a, a, a rhythm perimeter that holds us and keeps us and brings us to life. We, we sometimes speak of, of God in whom we live and move and have our breath as our rock and our fortress, right? And I love how Eugene Peterson, the author and pastor, explains one of the most regular and practical ways that God is, in fact, a fortress to us. And it's by giving us the Sabbath. Sabbath-keeping, he writes, erects a weekly bastion, fortress, against the commodification of time, against reducing time to money, reducing time to what we can get out of it, against leaving no time for God or anything that cannot be used or purchased. It is a hurry. It is a, a defense against hurry that desecrates time and people. Sabbath and Sabbath rhythm is a bastion, a fort, a defense that upholds this rhythm of time and guards then our heart, guards very much our ability to love neighbor as we'll come to see very clearly in weeks, in our later weeks that has to do with the Sabbath. How critical it is for the church in this day and age to breathe deeply the fact that we live and move and have our being in Jesus Christ. Because here's the thing. Anytime the band really started to get going off the rails and racing ahead with every section going for it, Mr. Gaines always went to a default response. He first went to the percussion section and he talked directly to them. Now we could all overhear, but he would look at them and he would say, look, you all are tasked uniquely with keeping the beat, the tempo. And look, I know you hear those flutes and those saxophones and those trumpets and all the rest, and it's easy enough to just kind of go with them. But if you would watch me, if you will follow me, if you will hold to my cadence, the band will figure it out. The good downbeat will carry each measure faithfully. The song will come together The song will come alive. Percussion, can you keep your eyes on me and hold the tempo? Sabbath, two, three, four, five, six, Sabbath. Amen.